All right, all right. Well, good morning. Welcome to Sojourn. Merry Christmas to you. Uh, my name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to gather together this Sunday and this Sunday uh, right before Christmas to continue to celebrate the fact that Christ has come to us this morning as we open up God's Word. So we're going to spend some time in the Bible as we do every week. Uh, so if you need a copy of the Bible this morning, would you just raise your hand? Somebody will bring a copy of, of the, uh, the Scriptures around to you this morning. And if you don't actually own a copy of the Bible, please feel free to take that with you. Uh, that's our gift to you as a church. We want you to have God's Word in your hand. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1 this morning, so you can go ahead and find Matthew chapter 1 this morning. Uh, but as we get settled in and get ready to walk through this text in Matthew 1, let me just pray for us uh, before we jump in. <clears throat> Father, I give you thanks that we are able to gather together this morning. And Lord, I'm just reminded this morning of how unworthy I am to stand up here this morning, to open up your word and to preach. But Lord, I give you thanks that it's by your grace that I can do this. It's not about what I'm able to do in my own strength, my own ability, my own knowledge, my own experience. Lord, it's, it's your grace in and through me and in and through this church that we're able to be here this morning. That we're able to open up your word. It's a gift of your grace that you've given us your word. To, to help us to understand who you are. To help us understand our need for you. To interpret our lives in light of your word. And so I pray this morning that as we open up. As we look at this text in Matthew 1 this morning. That you would do a work in our hearts this morning. I pray we'd be encouraged. I pray we'd be refreshed this morning. That as we stand on the promises of God this morning. On your promises Lord. That we would recognize how much we need your grace. So Lord we love you. We thank you for this time we have, we thank you for the spirit that helps us to understand. We pray, Holy Spirit, this morning that you would illuminate your word for us and it would impact not only our heads, but our hearts. And because of that impact our lives for your glory and for our good. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, a, a, a little known fact about myself, as I, as I even found out this morning, uh, is that in high school, uh, one of the things I participated in outside of the normal kind of activities of going to class and all that stuff was theater. I was actively involved in theater in high school. I was mentioning that this morning to somebody and they were like, what, seriously? Uh, yeah, that's what I did all through high school. Started in middle school, all through high school. I was in all kinds of plays uh, all through my high school career. And I distinguish that plays, not musicals. That's a big difference if you're in the theater world. I did plays, didn't sing any songs, just memorized lines and performed in all different kinds of productions. Well, my senior year, uh, we had a new theater teacher and she decided that one of the things she wanted to do was to put on a, a, a production of a bunch of scenes from a bunch of different Shakespeare plays. And so uh, I wasn't super excited about that. Uh, I didn't even tell my parents about it. Uh, and so they never even saw me perform in this because I was like, whatever, it's just Shakespeare plays. And um, kind of had to jump into this. And so we were going to perform it for the school. And so she assigned parts for the different sections of uh, the plays that we were going to perform. And so I got assigned to play Romeo opposite my friend Laura in Romeo and Juliet's famous balcony scene. Now, if you've ever read Shakespeare before, uh, maybe that was forced on you in your English class or something like that. Maybe you enjoy reading it. Uh, not the easiest thing to read, certainly not the easiest thing to memorize. And so we, we practiced and we walked through all of this stuff. And so maybe, you, maybe you're familiar with that story. Maybe you're familiar with the, the story of Romeo and Juliet uh, because you've read it or you saw the Leonardo DiCaprio movie, which is like 
I guess almost like 20 years old now, but um, maybe, maybe you have a vague understanding of the story. But if you don't, let me just refresh your memory a little bit. So Romeo and Juliet are two star-crossed lovers, right? So they fall in love with one another essentially as teenagers, but they come from these warring families, the, the Montagues and the Capulets, and they're not able to really be with each other in this relationship because of the feud that their families have going on with one another. And in this particular scene that I had to perform in front of my classmates, in front of the school, Romeo comes into uh, Juliet's yard. She, he wants to try and maybe he can see her, or maybe he can talk to her. And at this particular moment, she comes out on the balcony. She doesn't realize that Romeo, which kind of creepily, right? I mean, he's like sneaking into her backyard, right? But whatever. He, so he, she comes out on the balcony and she starts to talk about her, just the, her heartache, her anguish that she has over the fact that she can't be with him. And she delivers some of the most famous lines from the whole play. So let me read you a few this morning. She says, Oh, Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou Romeo? Deny thy father and refuse thy name. Or if that wilt not, be but sworn, my love, and I'll no longer be a Capulet. She continues, Oh, be some other name. What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. So Romeo would, were he not Romeo called, retain that dear perfection which he owes without that title. Now you may be thinking, great, translate please. Here's what she's saying. She said, I love you, Romeo, but I can't be with you because of who you are. Romeo Montague. If either of us could just change our names, if we could be from a different family, you'd still be the same person. Then I would still love you the same. And then everything would be okay. Everything would work out for us if we could just change your name. I mean, if only it were that simple for Romeo and Juliet. But she asked a good question for us to consider this morning. She asked the question, what's in a name? What's in a name? You know, when we pick out names for our kids, uh, oftentimes we, we are more focused on whether or not it sounds good, fits in with our family, sounds good with our last name, has a, a good middle name and kind of flows together. Sometimes we consider the meaning of the name, but a lot of times it's just about how it fits and what, if we like it or not. But as we look at the scriptures, particularly in the Old Testament, what we see is a name has significance based off what its meaning was. So, so parents name their children specifically to reflect something, a belief that they had, a circumstance that they were in, they gave their name to this name to their child. As we enter into our fourth Sunday of Advent, we've been focusing on a theme throughout the last few weeks uh, on this idea of Jesus coming and what Jesus has come to do is to make all things new. Jesus has come to make all things new. And so far throughout this series, we, we haven't looked at any particular texts that actually talk about the birth of Christ. But this morning, we're going to do that. We're going to look at a text that specifically talks about the birth of Jesus. And as we look at this text this morning, what we'll see is that in this case, what's in a name matters a whole lot. So may God bless the preaching of his word this morning. If you have your Bible, go ahead and flip to Matthew 1 if you haven't already. <clears throat> We're going to be reading starting in verse 18 through the end of the chapter in Matthew 1. Matthew writes this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, 
Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Matthew, in the beginning of this gospel account, has spent the first 17 verses just giving kind of a, kind of a prologue to this story. He's listed out uh, the genealogy of Jesus. He's talked about the, the different generations that Jesus has come from. And so he's listed off a bunch of different names through the first 17 verses. But then he gets to verse 18 and he's going to set up the story that it's going to tell. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are essentially telling about the life and ministry of Jesus, who Jesus is, what he came to do. And so he sets that up. He says at the beginning of verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ happened in this way. He's getting ready to tell a story, but it's not some cute, cuddly story to tell at Christmas time. This is a story of epic proportions. But what's interesting about what Matthew does is that Matthew doesn't tell the story the same way that his counterpart Luke does. Luke spends a lot of time telling about the birth of Jesus. Here, Matthew is pretty short, pretty succinct with this. In fact, he even takes a different perspective on it. Luke focuses a lot on Mary, but here we see that Matthew focuses a lot on Joseph. So let's get into the story. What's going on here? Why does this matter for us? Mary and Joseph are betrothed to one another. But before they were actually married and they'd actually consummated their marriage, marriage, Mary is found to be with child, Matthew tells us. And he gives us an important detail here. He says it's by the Holy Spirit. It's from the Holy Spirit. And we'll come back to that in a second because it's important. But right now, I want us to think about what would Joseph be thinking? If from Joseph's perspective, what would be going through his heart, his mind? Because I think that's a lot of what Matthew is driving us to consider as we look at this story, at this text this morning. It's important for us to understand that betrothal is a fancy word for engagement. But in Jewish culture, engagement was different than it is in our culture. In our culture, engagements can be broken without any legal ramifications. Someone can be engaged and then decide they don't want to, no longer, they don't want to be any, engaged any longer. And, and there's no legal course of action that needs to be taken to end that engagement. But it's different in Jewish culture. In Jewish culture, to be engaged or to be betrothed was a formal, legal, binding arrangement. A Jewish man and a Jewish woman would be legally bound together, even being called husband and wife. But for this betrothal period, what would happen is the woman would live with her parents for roughly a year They wouldn't consummate their marriage. There'd be no sexual activity with one another. They wouldn't even live together. Like I said, she would stay with her parents. And once that betrothal period was actually over, that's when the wedding ceremony would actually take place. And the marriage would be in full force and the marriage would be consummated. So because engagement, because betrothal was a legal arrangement between a man, between a woman, the only way to to break that, the only way to end that would be through a legal, uh, a legal procedure to be able to actually give a bill of divorce from the husband, from the man who was engaged to the woman. 
So Joseph and Mary are legally betrothed. They're engaged to one another. And at this point, she's living with her parents. Their marriage has not been consummated. So you can imagine the shock. You can imagine the surprise and the despair that Joseph would have felt when he found out that the woman he's supposed to be marrying is pregnant. He knows he's not the father. And so the only reasonable explanation for Joseph is that someone else is the father. And that means that Mary must have committed adultery. I mean, you can imagine just the anguish, the, the heartache, the, the embarrassment, the confusion that Joseph would have as he sees this woman, this woman that he loves, this woman he wants to spend the rest of his life with, be with for the rest of his life. He finds out she's pregnant and he's so confused. Now, Matthew doesn't tell us this, but we can imagine that Mary is trying to communicate to Joseph how she became pregnant. She tries to tell him, as we learn in Luke 1 and 2, that that. That she has, an angel has come to visit her. And this angel told her, look, this is, uh, this is what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit is going to come and you are going to bear the Son of the Most High God. You're actually going to give birth to the Son of God. The Holy Spirit will enable you to become pregnant outside of normal human reproduction. So you, you can imagine at this point when Joseph kind of confused, not understanding what's going on. Mary's trying to tell him what's happened. And he's just thinking, nice one, Mary. An angel told you the Holy Spirit, really, seriously, that's what's going on here. See, though Joseph presumably would have the right to be sad, he'd have the right to be angry, to even have justice come about. What we see in the text here is that as he's wrestling through this, as he's considering all these things, as Matthew points out, that he decides to be gracious and kind and compassionate towards her. He decides to divorce Mary quietly. He doesn't want to draw any attention to the reason this is coming about. He doesn't want to bring shame on Mary. He could have. He could have brought this into the public square. He could have brought this before people and said, she's committed adultery. Therefore, I'm divorcing her and walk away. But he says, no, I'm going to do this quietly. I don't want to embarrass her anymore. They're part of a small town community in Nazareth. Everyone would know who they are. Everyone would know what's going on. And so he just wants to keep this down low, on, off the radar, not really in front of everybody's view. And so from Joseph's perspective, with what he knows at this point, this makes a lot of sense. But what Joseph knows isn't the whole story. And so God steps in. Look at verse 20 again. But as he considered these things, again, Joseph's considering, he, he, I mean, he is wrestling with this. His mind is just all over the place. Why does this happen to me? What is going on here? This is not how I thought this would go. This is not what I thought my life would look like. As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. God sends a messenger, an angel, likely Gabriel, the same angel who visited Mary, who spoke to her. And he's essentially telling Joseph, Mary's not a liar. She's not delusional. She's telling the truth. This is a work of the Lord, Joseph. It's a miraculous thing. The Holy Spirit has enabled Mary to become pregnant with this baby. What he's communicating to Joseph is, Joseph, don't fear. Don't despair. This is from God. But the Holy Spirit doesn't stop there. He tells Joseph more. He gives him good news, not only for Joseph, but for all the world. Look at verse 21. He continues, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people 
from their sins. This child conceived by the Holy Spirit is not just any child, Joseph. Mary will have a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Now, before we go any further, let's not miss something here. What was custom was for the father to name the child. And so what the Holy Spirit is saying here is, look, Joseph, this is not your biological child, but what I want you to do is I want you to name him. I want you to give him his name. Joseph, you name him Jesus. We have to understand there's a risk here. Will Joseph accept Mary as his wife? Will Joseph accept this child as his own son? Name him Jesus. Name him Jesus, the angel says. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means Yahweh saves, the Lord saves. It's the same name of Joshua or Yeshua in Hebrew. It's a name full of promise. It's a name full of hope. It's a name that would remind his parents and any person that he comes in contact with of what they most need, salvation from God. Every time the name Jesus is spoken, it would remind people of their need, salvation from God. And see, the people of God have longed for salvation. They've longed for restoration since sin entered into the world. We see that all throughout the Old Testament. Through all the failings, falterings, and foibles, the wretched rebelliousness, the wayward wanderings, the pining for glory for themselves and chasing after anything and anyone except God. Even in that, the desire remained. It was known, it was felt deep within their hearts, the depths of who they were as people. They know they needed restoration. They know they needed rescue. They know they needed redemption. And they know that the only one that was able to do that, that would be able to do that, would be God. Because they couldn't rescue themselves. They tried over and over again to fix their problems. Tried over and over again to overcome the darkness in their life and the despair that they had and the difficulty they had, the dysfunction that they had. And they realized, no, I can't do this. Only God can do this. Yahweh saves Jesus. And God promised he would rescue. He's been in the business of rescuing and redeeming. He's been in the business of unfolding his redemptive plan all throughout history. He says, I will save you. I will restore you. I will give you new hearts. I will purify you. I will make you a new people. I will bless you. I will forgive you. I will reconcile you. I will do it, declares the Lord. So the name that the angel tells Joseph to give to who will be his adopted son is a name full of longing and hope. But the bombshell news that the angel drops on unassuming Joseph is not that this child will just bear the name of hope, but this child will be your hope. This child will be your hope. He will save his people from their sins. See, this is not just a name. It's a description of what this child will actually do. This is the long-awaited Messiah. This is the long-awaited Savior, Joseph. This is your hope. The way Matthew records what the angel says is important for us to understand. If we could look at the original language and see this, he's emphatic in this. He's emphatic in this. He, and only he, will be able to save his people from their sins. He and no other. He's the only way for anyone to be reconciled to God. That is amazing news for Joseph to hear, to try to understand Before telling us what Joseph does, Matthew gives some additional commentary. Jesus will not be his only name. Look at verses 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. 
which means God with us. In Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah prophesies there that God's people will be delivered. He talks about a salvation with a small s. Salvation with a small s, saying God's people will be delivered. But what we see Matthew doing here is taking that and saying, yes, while it's true in an immediate sense, while it was true in an immediate sense, Back when Isaiah wrote that, that God's people would be delivered, what Matthew is saying is that there's so much more than that. It's so much larger than that. There's eternal significance to this. Salvation with a capital S for God's people is here. See, Matthew is making something abundantly clear for us. Jesus is not only a child who will become a man, who will be a savior. He is God come down to us as one of us to rescue us. This is the same thing Paul draws our attention to in Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul's talking about the fact that we should have a, a humble life, a humble disposition towards people. And he uses Jesus as an example. He talks about the humility of the Son of God for our own benefit. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, Paul writes there, Have this mind among yourselves. Be like this. This mind which is yours in Christ Jesus. Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. What's in a name? Matthew tells us. His name is Jesus. Because through him, God will save the world from their sins. His name is Emmanuel because he is God with us. See, through these names, what Matthew's communicating to us this morning is that it's both what Jesus will do and who Jesus is that come in and through his name. Now, how does Joseph react to this message? Look at verses 24 and 25. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And I wish Matthew gave us a little more commentary. I mean, you can imagine waking up from a dream like this being like, hold on a second, like what just happened? What's really going through Matthew, through Joseph's mind at this point? We, we don't really have that view into Joseph's life, into his mind, what he's thinking. But what Matthew does tell us is what's most important. And that's what Joseph actually does. He did as he was commanded. He accepted Mary as his wife, and he accepted this child as his own son. He became Jesus' adopted father. He called his name Jesus. Joseph called his name Jesus. He gave his child the name that means Yahweh saves. He gave his own Savior the name Savior. That's crazy to me. What kind of emotions did he feel? Did he even understand? Did he even really grasp what was going on as he named his son Jesus. But there's something else I want to note that's significant in what Joseph does here. And it goes back to what the angel had said to him. He addressed Joseph as Joseph, the son of David. Joseph, the son of David. And this is a title that we see throughout the New Testament, but it's not in reference to Joseph. It's in reference to Jesus. So why does this matter? Well, let's look at another prophecy from Isaiah. If you Have your Bibles still open. Flip over to Isaiah chapter 9 with me for a minute. Isaiah chapter 9. This is a text that you may be familiar with if you've been around the church for any length of time. If you even just come around church around Christmas time, this is read often during this time of year. 
Isaiah writes this, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, giving a prophecy, he says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God had promised David, King David, he had promised and there will always be a king on your throne forever and ever. He had promised David that the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Savior of God's people would come through his line, through this king But it wasn't Solomon, David's son. It wasn't any of the kings after that. All of them, all they demonstrated is that they themselves needed a savior. But the savior would have to be from David's line. It's why the people were waiting and longing and even wondering, who will it be? When will it happen? Will it ever happen? Every king we've had has not walked in the way of the Lord constantly and consistently. Every king we've had has demonstrated the fact that he needs rescuing, that he needs redemption. Is this really going to happen? Is this promise really true? Now, Joseph is from David's line. And so when Joseph adopts Jesus, it made it abundantly clear that Jesus was also a part of David's line. Because when a son is adopted into a family, he has every right and privilege of being a son. He's not different. He's a part of that family now. Joseph called him son. Jesus called him daddy. So when Joseph called his name Jesus, Jesus absolutely and clearly becomes the son of David, the son of God, and the savior of the world. Whose government and peace will have no end. Whose names would also include wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Who will sit on the throne of David and be over his kingdom from this time forth and forevermore. When Joseph says Jesus, let his name be called Jesus. He's bringing all this to fruition, all this to bear. Man, I love this. What God purposed and planned long ago, before the foundation of the world, what he promised in the garden on the heels of our first parents, plunging us into sin, plunging us into sickness and darkness and death, through all the ups and downs, through all the twists and turns of history, of the history of God's people, amidst desert wanderings, failed kings and kingdoms, through 400 years of silence, all of that comes to fruition through an unassuming woman and an unassuming man in a little town who were obedient to their God. Salvation for the world came in the most humblest form. It was definitively declared in the giving of a name, Jesus. So what's in a name? In this case, everything, everything. You know, sometimes I think we hear this story about Jesus's birth and and we think about the fact that that Jesus has come, and this is what we celebrate at Christmas, and so we, we recognize that, we reflect on that, Jesus is coming, we know Jesus is the reason for the season, right? But in the midst of all that, in the midst of the familiarity of that truth, I think oftentimes we lose the awe of what it really means that Jesus came, and what it really means of what Jesus' name really communicates to us. My son Isaac is two, two not quite two and a half, turned two in September, And I love seeing the world through his eyes right now because everything's new to him. Everything's exciting to him. He is in awe often about things. 
I mean, just the other day, we were outside playing in our front yard. And uh, it, was, it was dusky. It was about, the sun was about to go down. It was one of the, the, the days we were having where it was a little bit warmer. And, and he looks over and he says, Daddy, Daddy, the moon. And he starts trying to jump up to grab the moon. I mean, he's running around the yard, jumping, trying to grab the moon. And he, I mean, the moon, that's still interesting to him. We drive around, we see the moon all the time. We don't think twice about it. But you know, the thing that, uh, that Isaac's most interested in, what he loves the most right now, are uh, construction equipment and construction sites, diggers. If he sees an excavator or a bulldozer or a dump truck or, or a backhoe or anything like that, I mean, he goes crazy. Daddy, daddy, digger, digger. And he'll point it out anywhere he sees it. If he even thinks he sees it, I mean, he can, he can spot it before anybody else can. So he has some superhuman ability to see him like around the corner or something, but he can see him. He calls him out. He loves construction sites so much so that if Amy wants to get the kids out of the house and, and, and she's just like, okay, we got to go do something. We'll just, they, she'll pile them all in the car and they'll just drive around to construction sites. And in Northern Virginia, there's no shortage of construction sites to drive around to and see. And, and he loves to see that Isaac is in awe of them. But for me at best, they're just background scenery. And at worst, they're a nuisance to me. See, I think the name of Jesus has become just a byword in our culture. And oftentimes I fear a byword within our church. Do you stand in awe when you even just hear his name? When the name of Jesus is spoken, do you stand in awe? Do you reflect on what that actually means? I mean, we don't know exactly how this all came about. We don't know exactly how the Holy Spirit made Mary pregnant, but we can trust that he did. Mary asked Gabriel in Luke chapter 1, how is this going to be possible? And Gabriel's response still rings true today. Is anything impossible for God? Is anything impossible for him? See, what should be crazy to us, what we should be in awe of is the fact that it even happened. The eternal son of God, the second person of the Trinity, took on humanity, was growing inside of his mother's womb. That's crazy. He came with bones and brains and blood. That's insane for us if we really stop to think about that. We ought to be in awe of the incarnation, the fact that the son of God, the eternal son of God became man. But not just because of that. We ought to be in awe of the incarnation because in coming to us, Jesus came to make all things new. And he did that by saving us from our sin. He did that by becoming our savior. Jesus lived among us and died for us. He went to the cross and on the cross, he bore the weight of our sin on his back. Through him and him alone is their life forevermore. He will save his people from their sins. Hebrews chapter 9, the author of Hebrews gives us a glimpse of what Jesus has accomplished for us. And so I want to I read this over you this morning. Just, just stop for a minute, put down your pen or your pencil. Just listen to God's word read over you this morning from Hebrews chapter 9. This is what the author of Hebrews says. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he, Jesus, entered once for all into the holy places. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. 
For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For when he would have, he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Sojourn. All that Jesus came to do is wrapped up in his very name. All that he came to do is wrapped up in his very name. He and no other will save his people from their sins. All those who God, before the foundation of the world, decreed and declared would be redeemed and restored and adopted into his family, just as Joseph adopted Jesus. All of that is wrapped up in Jesus' very name. So let me ask you this morning. Has the name of Jesus become background noise to you? Has the name of Jesus become background noise to you? Listen to the rest of the passage from Philippians 2 that I read earlier. Philippians chapter 2 verses 8 through 11. Say this, and being found in human form, he, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What does hearing the name of Jesus mean to you? What does it mean to you? Does the power of Jesus' name still have power in your life? Has it ever? Is it something that passes over your lips or through your ears with ease but no effect? You know, this whole scene in Matthew 1 shows us something else that I think all of us can relate to. Finding out Mary was pregnant. Finding out that he was pregnant, receiving this message from an angel, this would have interrupted Joseph's life. This wasn't what he was expecting. This wasn't part of his plan for his wife and his future family for this to happen in this way. And at any given moment of any given day, it probably really wasn't what he even wanted. Sure, I want a Savior. I believe that the Savior will come through my line. But could it be in a convenient way? Could it be in an easy way on my terms and my schedule and the way I'd love to have it happen? This was an interruption in Joseph's life, but it was the best possible thing for him because he needed Jesus in his life. And the same thing is true today. When Jesus comes into your life, it's always an interruption because we are all content living life on our own the way we want apart from God. But the interruption of Jesus in your life is always the best thing that could happen to you because Jesus came to make all things new, including you. In Romans chapter 10, verse 13, the Apostle Paul says there that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord, everyone who calls in the name of Jesus will be saved. Have you called on the name of Jesus? Will you call on the name of Jesus? Placing your faith in him, your trust in him, believing that he went to the cross for you. That he took your sin on his back so that you could be set free. You could be forgiven. You could receive salvation and redemption. Believing that he came to do that and that he can do that. 
And for those of you that know Christ, may the name of Jesus and all that his name means and all that he came to do never grow old for you. Never grow old for me. Because here's the reality. Here's the truth. We still need salvation. We, we still need grace from God now. We still need it every day, every moment. We still need Jesus. I still need Jesus. I realized this week, reflecting on a few things of how selfish I am, how focused on my own life, my own way of thinking, how things affect me, how that's my, my default place to go, whether it's with my family or with ministry or anything else to what I want to do with my time, how selfish I am. I still need Jesus. And everything Jesus came to do for me is wrapped up in his very name. Just hearing the name Jesus should give me hope and comfort and peace because he came to save me from my sins. Has that grown old for you? Are you in awe? Does the name of Jesus have power in your life? As we close, I want you to listen to the words from Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. Right after the author of Hebrews has spoken about what Jesus accomplished, he says this. May this be an encouragement to you today. Therefore, brothers and sisters... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. As we hear the name of Jesus, as we speak the name of Jesus, may it provide us with an unwavering hope, knowing that he who promised is faithful. He came to save us. And he has and he will come again to finish that good work. And so as we wait, let's hold fast our confession. Let's be reminded that through him we can draw near to the throne of God. Let's stir one another up to love and good needs. Meeting together, being involved in each other's lives. Reminding each other of our great God and King and Savior, Jesus. Encouraging one another all the more as we see the day of his return drawing near. May the name of Jesus, as you hear the name of Jesus, as you sing the name of Jesus, as you read the name of Jesus, may it stir your heart, give you a a burning in your heart to worship, a zeal within your heart to give thankfulness to, to God, to find joy in your life. May that then overflow out of your heart, out of your life, through your lips and your lives, that others might experience that, that as they hear the name of Jesus, it would have power in their life as well. Crossing from death and darkness to life and light. Because as it's proclaimed here in Matthew 1, and as Jesus himself says in Matthew 28, he will be with us to the very end of the age. And we can praise God for that. What's in a name, Juliet asked? In a case of a child born in a stable, laid in a manger, in a small town of Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago, everything. He came to dwell with us as one of us. He came to save you from your sin. He came to make all things new. And to that we say, amen. Praise the name of Jesus. As we 
come to the table this morning. This is our first act of response to the name of Jesus being preached and proclaimed to us today. We're going to come to the table to eat and drink. And, and this table is both a symbol, it's a reminder, but it's also a refreshment to us. In it, we are reminded that what Christ actually came to do, that his body was beaten and broken, that his blood was shed so that you and I can have peace with God. But it's also a meal that refreshes us, knowing that the very presence of Christ is with us even now. So as you come to the table this morning, you'll hear what Jesus has done for you, what he purposefully and specifically and intentionally and fully did for you, that what his name means, he accomplished for you completely. As you hear that this morning, Christ's body broken for you, Christ's blood shed for you. May it cause your heart to rejoice and may you praise the name of your God and King. And if you're not a follower of Christ, we would just ask you not to come forward this morning to take communion. And the the reason for that is not because we're trying to be exclusive and, and be awkward or anything like that. This doesn't do anything for you. It's nothing magical about this moment for you. If you don't know Christ, there's not power in this meal. We want you to take Christ. We want you to call on the name of Jesus today. What Jesus came to do, his very name requires a response. He came to save people from their sins. Have you trusted in Jesus? Will you trust in Jesus today? If you have questions about what that means, please come talk to me. If you want to pray, if you want to talk with anyone, I'll be down here in the front after the service. You can talk to anyone that's a part of this church because that's why we're here. We want people to experience the grace that comes in and through Jesus Christ, our Savior and our King. Those of you that will come forward, you can come to the front or head to the stations in the back. And listen again for what Jesus has done for you. Let's pray. (coughs) Father, this morning, we give you thanks again for the opportunity it is to gather together, to hear the name of Jesus preached. Lord, I pray that the reality of our lives would be true of Philippians 2, that as we hear the name of Jesus, our knees would bow. We would bow our heads and bow our hearts before you in worship and adoration and praise because we know that the name of Jesus means that he came to rescue us and he accomplished that. He died on the cross for our sins and didn't stay dead. You brought him to life again. He rose again on the third day and he will rule and reign forever and ever. And to that we say amen. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us now as we come to the table to continue to worship you, to praise you, to be reminded and refreshed in the reality of what Christ has accomplished for us. May everything we do as we continue to to sing together, as we continue to be gathered together, be praise, be thankfulness, be joy because of the peace you give us through Christ our King. Lord, we love you. We celebrate the fact that you've come to rescue us. And we proclaim the name of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.